Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined again this week by Michael Sundberg. He is a district manager for the Davy Tree Expert Company in the southeast Denver, Colorado area. Today we're talking all about winter watering. And Michael, watering in the winter? I, I never heard of such a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of a crazy thought for some parts of the country uh, that get too much snow and get buried for the whole winter. And uh, yeah, a whole different climate out here in Colorado because we're sort of a high plains desert. So we do have winter, we have great skiing in the mountains, but down in the front range where a lot of the trees we care for are located, uh, we will have tons of stretches without snow for weeks and sun's out most days, you get wind, all the different factors that dry out our, our trees. So we have uh, lots of winter watering that we have to factor in for our tree care compared to other parts of the world. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about that winter season for you. You, you know, I think we have a misconception in the East that you guys have snow all the time. You know, every spring we see some story like on Mother's Day where Denver has, you know, 22 inches of snow or something. But what is the winter really like? When does it start and how long does it last? Yeah, the, the crazy thing about our weather is we can get snowstorms in October through May. You know, we've had some of those crazy Mother's Day snowstorms. Um but generally speaking, temperature-wise, you know, Thanksgiving, we, we cool off and we stay a little bit cooler into the, you know, February, March sort of season. Um, we get a lot of our snow in March. So that's one of our snowier months. Um, you know, October, November, December can be pretty dry. You know, we don't have a ton of Christmas days with snow. Uh, that's kind of the exception compared to the rule for us. So we get snow kind of randomly. And we don't get buried in snow for very long either. So because the sun's usually out, we end up getting snowstorms and then the sun melts away or the sun melts away the snow um, and we're back to dry pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, winter for us is pretty quick. I mean, yesterday was 71 at the airport. So that's kind of how unusual the weather can be where you get different seasons throughout winter still. And then, uh, you know, we'll still have our winter days where the highs are below freezing and you get snow for a day or two, but ultimately it's kind of a flash in the pan as compared to other, our other seasons. Uh, some years we joke that there's summer, fall, second summer, second fall, third summer, <laughs> winter, spring, and then we carry on. So, Does the ground ever freeze solid? Occasionally, especially if you get enough moisture on the front end where it gets cold enough and there's like the water to kind of freeze up the soil. But, you know, for us, we can do tree watering and like tree fertilization where we're probing into the ground year round. We don't have a lot of winter days that we truly can't get the device in the ground, you know, aside from maybe a week here or there. So the ground doesn't get like permafrost, uh, especially because the sun's out so often. So that just cooks things pretty quickly for us. Yeah. So out east here, we water up until that ground freezes, which used to be November, now maybe January, maybe February, depending on the winter. But for you guys, that, that means constant watering just as you would in any other season. 
Yeah. And the challenge is just that the sprinkler systems have to get winterized because it does get too cold for the backflow device. And you can get some, you know, frozen irrigation pipes in the soil if it's buried not deep enough, that kind of thing. So once I would say October rolls through, most people have winterized their sprinkler systems and you'll still have dry soils all the way till they pressure up the system again. You know, with the exception of some marches where we get plenty of snow or we get a big dump that lasts for a while. But um, you know, for tree care, I would say like on about a monthly basis, you know, we're, we're doing winter waterings for people November through March, um, to kind of keep the soil moisture maintained. Otherwise stuff just gets dusty dry. Um, cause we'll have stretches of, I don't know, three, four weeks without a substantial snowstorm sometimes. And for the home gardener, the home landscape, are the spigots shut off at a certain point as the sprinkler would be, or can you leave it on like for the home gardener? Uh, yeah, most houses will have like outdoor faucet, um, like the spigot off the house that you can hook up to in the winter. And it does, it's, you know, designed to not freeze after you use it. You do want to make sure you like drain your hose and disconnect it from the house. But that, that device is usually available for hooking up to do DIY watering. So for you guys, when you're taking care of clients, talk about how you water the trees. For us taking care of clients, you know, we'll bring a truck out with water. Um, we'll have that water run through a pump. We actually get to put it down into the ground at a higher pressure than somebody that has a probe for their own hose. Um, you know, we can go 100, 150 PSI, which also helps with just sort of, I don't know, fluffing the soil in a way and decompacting it because you get some fracturing effect with the higher pressure that gets injected. And then the probe goes in four directions um, in the ground too. So we can go in, we get below the uh, turf grass layer below the mulch layer. Um, that water goes in under pressure. We're focusing on the root zone where the tree has the finer absorbing roots near the you know drip line of the canopy. Um, and then we're injecting the water that way. So it's efficient because we're not losing stuff down to runoff going down the street. You know, if you did like a surface water, um, especially when the soils are dry, they don't even take water in very well on the surface. So um, yeah, and that's sort of the way that we bring water to the trees um, from a service standpoint, if people aren't able to do it themselves or have the time to do it, which is one of the other problems people have is they might spend hours doing their own trees because you're just doing a trickle, uh, versus us coming out as a service, we can do it pretty quick and people can enjoy their days instead of standing outside watering themselves. So watering is one of my least favorite jobs because just standing there, you know, I, I talk about it all the time where I just I leave the hose there. I let it run. I go do another garden job. Uh, for that probe, how deep does that go when, when you're watering? Or does it depend on the soil? Or does it depend on the roots? Does it depend on the tree? Um, for the device, you know, you can go 6 to 12 inches. It just kind of depends, too, on, on the soil factors. You know, some soils, it's easier to go further down than others. Um, also, the moisture levels will kind of dictate how easy it is to probe in. So, um I always say like a good rule of thumb to check your soil moisture is just a long screwdriver. And is it easy to push into the ground or not? So when we come out to water, if it's been really dry, it might be harder to get as, as far down. But, you know, if you're getting below the surface, you're at least getting that water where you need it because your roots are kind of generally in the top foot of the soil. So um, that's the, the area you're trying to maintain moisture best in. And like, let's say in the case of like a maple that's shallow rooted. Are you going like on the outside all around it or are there four spots or one spot or how do you decide that? Yeah, tree size will dictate that because of the, the size of the drip line. So like on a younger tree, you know, if you're going every few feet where you're probing in, 
um, going around that drip line, you know, some trees might have four spots and kind of a four corners coverage of the drip line. And then you're going to get enough lateral coverage in the soil to get that root zone done. And then, you know, a larger tree might be going just every two, three feet, just going around the drip line and probing in, in a big circle, um, to focus on those more finer absorbing roots. And is there a formula or how do you know how much water to put on, or do you just test it with, do the screwdriver test? That's kind of the great question. That's like the, the million dollar question with clients is, well, how much water? And that's always kind of an observational science because you want to know how much water have you had recently? You know, if it's been really dry, you're going to try to put more down. That screwdriver test kind of helps you tell how dry your soil is. And if it's more of like a quick maintenance water, or you're trying to get it like a big overhaul because you've had too much dryness. Um, yeah. If you're doing kind of a DIY watering and you can put your hose out, you know, they say the general watering might be somewhere, you know, five to 10 gallons per trunk inch of diameter that your tree is. So uh, that sounds like a lot of water, but in one single watering that might try to carry that tree for a month in the off season, like that's, that's the kind of water it's looking for, but you're also always relying on mother nature to help carry the bill a little bit too. Um, otherwise that's, that's a ton of water to try to put out manually. So it's, we always kind of refer to it as like a supplemental water uh, to kind of give it some relief from drought, but it's tough to give trees every ounce that they need just by humans. Um, you know, you're always banking on some weather systems to help. So does the amount of rain that comes down, does that determine how often you go out to a, a, a property? Yeah. And when we have like systems that move through, you know, we'll generally shift, do some other type of services that we can do. And then once things dry up, we're calling people to come out and do the watering. Um, for the Colorado dryness that we get, that moisture might only be kind of a flash in the pan that helps bridge the gap for like a week. So we, we could be on the heels of a storm or right after a storm and still go out and water and, and provide benefit because stuff dries out that fast. Um, this year was kind of weird. We had record rainfall and uh, totals of precip spring and summer. It was like the wettest year I've ever experienced my whole life here. And then it's dried out so bad that we're back to below average for our conditions. So it was just like a, a two-sided story of tons of moisture in the spring and the summer and then nothing now recently. So so with those that tons of moisture, what problems does that bring up? Or are there any problems with that in, in your climate? Yeah, for us, we kind of celebrated the moisture for the most part because our trees had record growth rates on a lot of the branches and twigs. And it kind of just showed how successful our trees would be if we had different weather. Um, you know, I, I got kind of that taste of like what Seattle trees get to experience and how successful and healthy they look. Um, they all perked up from the one year we had here with all the moisture. Um, it brought a few other disease factors a little bit higher that we don't generally deal with as bad. We are so dry that the disease pressure is that low. And, you know, this year it was like, okay, we saw an uptick in a few different tree diseases. Um, you know, it made like our fire blight season a little bit heavier with crab apples and stuff like that. But it was kind of like worth the sacrifice to actually get the moisture that trees should have that we pretty much never have in the front range of Colorado. So as a tree guy, tell me a little bit about the feelings of that, because uh, I know as like a gardener, when you've got all that rain, it's such a great feeling. But when you don't get it, it's such a terrible feeling <laughs> from, your, yeah. from your point of view as a professional touch on that a little bit. Yeah, it, it was like one of those great years where lawns were just green, taking care of themselves. Uh, the trees were so happy and put on so much growth. Um, 
so that that was just like a, a total blessing this year. Um, you know, it was almost a challenging year just for like going out and doing work because of how often we had rain and we're really not used to it. I'm sure there's, you know, places in the Pacific Northwest that their crews would laugh at our struggles um, with us working in the rain because it's so unusual for us. But uh, the trees were doing so great with it. And it, it definitely makes you just feel like it's just a good growth year. Trees are healthy. Now that the faucet's kind of shut off, it's back to like that anxiety of, you know, we're okay. We're back into like a drought pattern. Um, I got to get home and water my trees today. You know, you start to, to think about it a little bit more, but it was kind of autopilot spring and summer, which is awesome. So for a homeowner, when they, when you're coming there to water their trees, are they paying by the gallon or is it a set fee? How, or does it depend on the, the client? Uh, the cost is always just, you know, based on the estimation of like time it's going to require or like their tree count at a certain cost per tree type of a situation. So it's just, they know the cost and it's just sort of, uh, you know, built into like their plant health care program that they've got winter watering at X cost per application. Um, when we get these dry patterns, we'll have clients calling us saying like, please add another watering or, you know, please set up the watering that I thought I was going to do myself. And turns out I'm not into going outside <laughs> over the winter and watering the trees on my own, like I thought. So go ahead and send out your, your technicians, please. So that's good. They're doing that though, because let's talk about the importance of water for the tree. We've kind of touched on it. Like you were saying, when you get all that rain, you saw what the trees are supposed to do in the Denver area, but it's important. They get their water. You, you do not want to withhold that water. Yeah. And like all of the root growth that they put on, you know, you have tons of fine little root hairs that probably all shot out and explored all the moisture in the soil earlier in the season. And those are the most susceptible ones to dry up and, and die back. So similar to how you could see, you know, canopy die back from different health issues, you know, your roots could do the same thing underground if it's too dry. So that moisture helps with just preserving like your year over year growth and having the tree able to have its resources to access with all of the roots so that your canopy does well. You know, if you put on a bunch of root growth and then all those roots die back, you know, that withholds your canopy from being as successful too. But everything was kind of firing on all cylinders in the spring and summer this year from the moisture that all of the new twig growth on the ends of branches was like record lengths that I've never seen. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was refreshing to see what extra water does for us in Colorado and it kind of highlighted the importance of it because seeing what was possible with moisture versus what we generally see just showed that watering, including in the wintertime, is the big difference maker for us for tree health. So where I'm at, the soil is clay and or shale. Remind me again what kind of soil you're dealing with out there. We are pretty predominantly clay with high soil pH. So that's if you ever had to just put, put your money down on what somebody's yard is going to be dealing with. It's, it's that, uh, um, holds moisture well, but it's also hard to get moisture in. It's hard to dig holes. Um, the high pH ties up other nutrients that help with some trees. So we get a lot of chlorotic trees for iron deficiencies because of the high pH. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's generally what we're dealing with here. And in newer developments, the soils that the houses are built on and the yards are built on were just prairie grass. So there's not a lot of organic matter and nutrient cycling that happened for those hundreds of years in the prairie that the person now just planted their tree in. So the nutrients are pretty hard to come by compared to where, you know, out in the Midwest, you've got old forest soils and you've got, 
you know, soils that have organic matter and they're darker in color. You know, we don't really have that here in most places. So, well, what's interesting is a lot of the housing development here is on old farmland, which they usually strip off whatever the good stuff they can get. And then we're kind of stuck with the same thing you guys are stuck with. Now, as far as your pH is concerned, when you're planting a tree, are you choosing a tree that can handle that pH or are you trying to remediate the pH or both? It's tough to get like a a pH change with soils. So um, generally cost prohibitive to try to change your soil pH. We just know which species are going to have a tough time with it. You know, if you're planting your your standard autumn blaze maple or you're trying like a red oak tree, those are some of the big ones that we know like, okay, you can plant this, but if your soil pH ends up being a problem for your iron, you know, you may have to be doing some like iron supplements with these species or iron injections when they're older to try to correct that. But people love planting their maples and oaks anyways. And then just sort of deal with the consequences later if they end up having a chlorotic tree and they do treatments. So, yeah, people are always asking me, like, I want my hydrangea to be a different color. How do I change the pH? And I say, good luck. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, really it's one of those things you just have to know about. Yeah, really hard yeah. to do. Uh, you did say something, though, you continue to fertilize during this period, too. Is that right? Yeah, we, we try to do our fertilizations um, just kind of on a one-year cycle with people's tree care. You know, like uh, our Arbor Green Pro lasts, you know, about a year plus in the soil. So you're just maintaining that. Um, if somebody hasn't fertilized their trees and you're getting them set up with, with tree health care programs, um, it's generally like, yeah, let's get some food in the ground as soon as we can. Start to get those trees accessing nutrients and getting ready for better growth, um, even if it means you're injecting it at a weird time of year to most people because people are on that lawn fert schedule of like, I only fertilize my lawn, you know, spring and fall, but for the tree care, because it's slow release nutrients, just like a good soil would have in the forest, you know, you just want to put it in there let it start working and getting trees fed. So Michael, this is good stuff. Before I let you go, let's talk trees a little bit. What do you like to plant there when you find the right spot uh, in Denver? Yeah, I'd say, trying to diversify is our big goal because just like how everybody overdid elm trees felt the consequences from dutch elm disease ash ash, ash is very next. yes ash trees out yep. right here yeah we're dealing with emerald ash borer in colorado and everybody that's overplanted ash are feeling the pain so um, maples are honestly the next one that was overplanted because autumn blaze maples are so attractive to people with the red fall color but they became a monoculture pretty quickly so i'm generally trying to diversify get somebody a new species on their property that they've never had before. Um, pick trees that are a little bit tougher for the drought and the heat. Uh, so I've looking at a lot of uh, Kentucky coffee trees, catalpas, hackberries, um, you know, trying to get a little bit more off the beaten path so that people don't have the monoculture. And then the trees are a little bit better with hardiness. Um, we don't have a lot of oak planting. Um, so that's picking up in popularity a little bit. But the big thing is just avoid the monoculture again, because that's been just a decade after decade disaster with trees that people have just picked the same attractive ones that check all the boxes for flowers or fall color and repeat plant them everywhere versus new species for every single spot you're planting if you can. So what's funny about trees, you know, for me, I have a special place in my heart for catalpa because I had a huge one behind my house growing up. 
but it's a tree that a lot of people don't know about, but it's a real beauty and those seed pots are awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they're, they're white flowers that are kind of summertime after a lot of other things are out of bloom are really refreshing. They kind of look tropical almost. The, the leaves are huge. So you get great shade. Um, the pods, you know, it, depending on your, uh, yeah, some people love them. Some people hate them. I always warn people that they have pods before they plant it in case they're like a, a lawn person that, you know, can't stand to see any kind of debris in their yard, but they rake up real easily. So they're not too bad, oh, uh, I know. but they grow fast. I know yeah. I, I, I raked them up from age five to age 18. <laughs> yep. Yep. They're not too bad of, of a mess. Um, yeah, I definitely like Catalpa's, uh, they have really unique growth habits, you know, generally a large trunk too. So like when they become stately old trees, they just look really impressive. That's what we had. And, and again, I, yeah, the downside is the pods on the ground, but the pods, when they're on the tree, I mean, explain how big those are. Yeah. They're, they're like over a foot long. I mean, they kind of look like a stretched out cigar. They're kind of brown to tan in color. Um, yeah. They're great, great for kids to, you know, throw throw at each other right oh yeah a little sword fight oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right michael i appreciate you talking to me again that's great stuff uh great information and i'm sure we'll talk again thank you so much that sounds great thanks for having me again tune in every thursday to the talking trees podcast from the davy tree expert company i am your host doug oster and do me a big favor Please subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. And if you have an idea for a show or maybe a comment, send us an email at podcasts at davey.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y dot com. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.